0: You're listening to Podcast by Committee, produced by Starting Five Productions. And now, here's Andrew and Max Brill. Thank you, Mason, for the introduction, and welcome back to Podcast by Committee. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew Brill. And I'm Max Brill. And today we're going to talk about some baseball, which is now back. There's a bunch of things we're going to get to in terms of MLB The Toronto Blue Jays still without a home, Mookie Betts signing a huge contract, the Mets without Marcus Stroman possibly for the entire 60-game season, but let's begin, Max, with maybe last season, and today is not only a big day because baseball's back, but somebody might be getting their championship ring.
1: I'm getting my championship <laughs> ring. It's out for delivery right now as we speak on UPS. By the time this episode is published, I will have worn my Brooklyn Cyclones championship ring and posted a picture on the Instagram account. So so life is good.
0: So to peel back the curtain a little bit, Max, as you know, worked for the Brooklyn Cyclones last season. He was there player development intern, pretty much did everything, made shift cards, took care of all their technology, wrote reports for the pitchers, or designed, I should say, reports for the pitchers so they could digest information. And the Cyclones won the New York Penn League championship, so Max gets a championship ring. But because of the pandemic, the rings were shipped to their minor league facility in Port St. Lucie, but that facility has been closed. So just recently... People have gotten back in, and they've shipped Max his ring, and I believe he may have worn out the UPS tracking site trying to figure out when this ring is coming.
1: If anybody right now is listening to this and and hasn't been able to access the UPS tracking (laughs) site, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's
0: because Max has been tracking his championship ring, and uh, that's that's one of the things he's got on me is that he has won a championship in professional sports. So a very... Huge day for Max putting on that ring, taking pictures, and and feeling like finally it's gone full circle when he's been able to put that ring on his finger. Max, let's talk Major League Baseball and Mookie Betts, who signed a 12-year, $365 million contract extension, which starts in 2021. Huge contract. Yeah,
1: huge contract. I mentioned this actually in my article on musingsofabaseballaddict.com today, but Mookie Betts has been one of the best right fielders in all of baseball since his debut. And let us keep in mind that the articles that I've been writing go over the best right fielders of the decade. I anointed Mookie Betts the best right fielder of the decade, and he didn't debut until 2014, which is a testament to how good he's been. According to Baseball Reference, he's compiled over 41 war since his debut, and that's six seasons. So that's well over six war per season. It's almost seven war per season. And on the scale of what is good in terms of war, you have a season of five war. That's a really, really good season. And Betts has posted seasons of nine and ten war at points in his career. So, so this is one of the premier players in baseball right now. Everybody knows Mike Trout is at the top, but Mookie Betts has been in that second tier of players basically since his debut. He's got a batting average over 300 for his career. He's hit 139 home runs in six seasons and stolen 126 bases with good defense. I mean, he, he he can do it all. So the fact that he's now locked up for 12 years at $365 million total in his contract, really a no-brainer for the Dodgers, I think.
0: Boy, oh boy, were Red Sox fans upset when they traded him and David Price to the Dodgers. And David Price has opted out of this short season in MLB, but he's going to play right field, bat leadoff most likely for the Dodgers, four consecutive gold gloves, leads the league with 93 defensive runs saved since 2016, AL MVP in 2018 with the Red Sox. You mentioned the war, 41.8 over six seasons, and probably the Red Sox best homegrown player since Carl Yastrzemski. So that's, that is that is. Pretty darn good company right there. And he rejected a, a very similar deal from the Red Sox. Ten years, $300 million. Which is almost the same deal, just two extra seasons. 27 right now, this will bring him to his his 39th birthday. He'll turn 40 that season, That uh, in the last season of this deal.
1: You have to keep in mind, with the ten-year, $300 million deal that the Red Sox offered him, well, he's getting two more years this way. I, you know, the difference between $360 million and $300 million in the grand scheme of things, yeah, $60 million is a lot of money, but when we're talking about hundreds of million dollars, like, it, it's not that big of a difference. I think the key difference maker here for Mookie Betts is the fact that the collective bargaining agreement is up, the fact that the Red Sox traded him away to the Dodgers, and that isn't something that says to the player, okay, we definitely want to keep you, right? If they wanted to meet his demand for an extension, they would have offered him more years or more money. And and it's really difficult for a team to look at what has happened with Bryce Harper and Mike Trout over the past two seasons. They've both gotten monster extensions, both at least 12 seasons. I think Trout's was 13 years.
0: Bryce Harper with a different team.
1: Yeah, but, but my point is that those contracts set the precedent for the next class of free agents. Mookie Betts... No question about it, was best in class of the upcoming crop of free agents. And he's completely in his right mind to demand the money that he's demanded.
0: I'm not going to argue with you. Look, when you have an elite talent, and let's... You know, like Mike Trout, who got over $400 million, and if he wasn't married, Max might actually propose to Mike Trout, because that's how much he likes him. Trust
1: me, the (laughs) ring isn't what's stopping me,
0: so... (laughs) addict.com is a site you should go to and read, because Max does an unbelievable job breaking down players and positions and writing articles that are very, very informative, but when you look at Mike Trout's numbers and the way Max talks about them, you can see the elite player that he is. Now, could Mike Trout have gotten more money someplace else and gotten more money endorsement in endorsements? When you're talking over 400 million, I don't think it really matters. But he likes L.A. He wanted to stay out in L.A. L.A. gave him the money, so they showed him the money, and go. now they have a, a huge, you know, one-two punch with Rendon and Trout. And the Angels
1: could make a push in this 60-game season. The one thing I will say about the Angels before we shift gears is that it doesn't take one player to make a championship team. Baseball is unique in that regard, that your best player only gets four or five plate appearances per game. Your best pitcher only goes once every five games. You don't have guys like LeBron James or Tom Brady who can elevate a team from potentially mediocrity to championship caliber. Trout and Rendon, easily one of the best two punches in baseball, but they don't have any pitching. And that's one of the big conversations about, okay, should we give $450, $500 million potentially to one player, or is it better to spread that risk out over two or three players? Because three $150 million contracts and one $450 million contract, probably the $450 million player is better, but if that player gets hurt, you've got nothing to show for it. So, so that's been one of the key conversations in baseball is, should we be doling out these insane contracts when we can spread the risk out over more players? To your point
0: about pitching, when you look at fan graphs and you look at how they rank pitching staffs, the Angels are ranked number 20. If you look at all the teams that could make noise in this 60-game season, they're a little bit lower on the list because of that pitching. Let's switch gears to this 60-game season now that it is underway and... Talk about which teams you think can actually make some noise and maybe some surprises in this 60 game
1: season. Well, I think the first team that is most interesting to me is the Chicago White Sox. I've got a ton of reasons that I really like them. The main reason is Luis Robert, who's one of the top prospects in baseball. He signed a six year contract extension with the White Sox before ever making his big league debut with two team options. It's a great deal for him because he's got the financial security of basically $80 million in his pocket. The White Sox have him now on a pretty team-friendly contract, and he's just one of the best talents in baseball. Good defense, good arm, good run, good hit, good power. He's going to be a force for the White Sox. And on top of him, Eloy Jimenez, who hit over 30 home runs last year, very quiet 30 home run season on the south side, he's going to be doing work for them. And they've just acquired Nomar Mazzara in right field. I talked about him in my article from yesterday as well. They've got a really good young core of talent. And Michael Kopech, who is a fireballing starting pitcher for them, decided to sit out the season. But they've still got a ton of good contributors. Lucas Giolito, chief among them. And Dylan Cease is going to probably make his debut for them. And they've got prospects in the wings too. Nick Madrigal and Andrew Vaughn, both former top five picks. This is a really good team, and I think that the shortened season helps them because I don't know that they'd be able to do it over 162 games, but in a 60-game sprint, anything can happen. And if they get hot, we could see them in the playoffs.
0: Throw in Dallas Keuchel and Yasmani Grandal, and they, they could make some noise in this season, but in seasons to come, their youth, along with some of their their veterans— Are going to make them a good team for the future. So the White Sox are one of those surprises. The pick in the Central is really the Twins, and when you look at it, the Twins are tenth in that pitching category that we were talking about earlier. So is it possible that the White Sox could make some noise? They've gotten some votes as as a a team that could come up and win that division. But so far, it's the Twins and the Indians. But Max, let's go to the since we're in the American League, let's talk about. The American League East, where the Yankees seem to be, by all accounts, a shoo-in to win the World Series. And I know the Yankees are World Series are bust all the time, but they seem to be the odds-on favorite right now, and they are number one in the pitching category. Not to mention their hitting, which they do a ton of. So you you put together their pitching and their hitting, and the Yankees could be could be the World Series champion,
1: number twenty-eight. I absolutely think so, and. My team to watch in the AL East is the Rays. It's, it's been, I don't know that I want to say, a salty existence for me as a Mets fan growing up in New York. But it's really hard to have the best franchise in major American sports history in your backyard and not be fans of them. Because the Yankees are not only an elite sports team, they're an elite brand. You go anywhere, you see Yankees hats. Oh, yes. We, go to, we went to Costa Rica on vacation, for example. People are wearing Yankees hats. I don't know how many of them have even been to a Yankees <laughs> game or watched the Yankees game, for that matter. It, it, they are the pinnacle of greatness in sports. But the Rays are actually my team to watch in the AL East. Not saying they're going to win the division, but that team is another team that's got a ton of youth. They're very well constructed. Wander Franco, the number one prospect in baseball right now, probably will see some action this season. I'm hoping he'll see some action because he has just been... The, the numbers he's put up in the minor leagues have actually been stupid. Like, if you go look at them, you are like, how are these not from MLB The Show because of how good he's been? He's going to come up and they've already got a great crop of talent. Austin Meadows right now has COVID-19, but he had a great season for them last year. Kevin Kiermeyer, elite defense in center field. And not to mention his looks. Of course. His rugged good looks, might I add. And they've got some decent guys around the infield. Brandon Lowe can play second base and the outfield. They've got Nate Lowe, a first baseman, third base. They've got a couple options right now, and their pitching staff is really good. Blake Snell, Tyler Glasnow, Charlie Morton, Charlie Morton as well. I I mean, this is another squad that has youth on their side, and their analytics department knows what they're doing. And that's another thing is that we talk about starting pitchers for the Rays. Starting pitchers sometimes get taken out in the fifth inning because of the insane bullpen that they've managed to put together, and just the sheer amount of talent that they have in the minor leagues as well is insane. They acquired Nick Anderson from the Marlins last year. He's striking out like two batters an inning, which is insane. And you have guys like Ryan Yarbrough and Yanni Chirinos who can piggyback whenever needed, and they can just come in in the middle innings or after the opener and eat up four or five innings. There are not a lot of teams that are constructed like the Rays are, and I think this might be the model that we see for the future of baseball
0: and the rays seem to always be on top of the analytics and they find hidden gems somewhere they always find a way as you know one of those smaller market teams they always find a way to be extremely competitive so let's let's switch to the national league and in the national league east the braves are really picked to to win it all but they're 15th in pitching but they have youth
1: max that's second to none the braves are Probably my team to watch in the National League East. I was actually having a conversation with one of my friends who was supposed to work for the Angels before the furloughs due to COVID-19. And when I told him that the Braves were my pick in the NL East, he was like, yeah, but their pitching is bad. Yeah, their pitching is not great. But when your outfield is Ender Inciarte, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Marcel Ozuna with two of the best outfield prospects in the game in the wings... Christian Posh and Drew Waters, both great athletes. Waters is going to be a monster in the major leagues. He hit 40 doubles last year in the minors. Posh is good at defense. The bat is still a work in progress. But both of those guys are not even having starting spots on the Braves. That's how good this team is. And their infield as well is really solid. Ozzie Albies, one of the best young second basemen. Dansby Swanson, their starting shortstop, a former top three pick out of Vanderbilt. Austin Riley at third base. Freddie Freeman, perhaps the most underrated first baseman in all of baseball. Uh, it, this, this lineup does not have a weakness.
0: You put together that and the Nationals. This might be a really competitive division because the Nationals have the number two pitching staff in the league. And they have some young, very good talent as well. So this will be one of those, those divisions
1: to watch. And I think one more thing is that if you go on Fangraph's projections division by division. The Mets are projected to finish 3rd in this division and get the second wild card spot, which is insane. Right now, the Nationals are projected for 33 wins and the Braves are projected for 33 wins and the Mets are projected for 32 wins. Right. Which makes this a really interesting division because the Phillies have gotten a lot better this offseason and they're not even in the playoff conversation due to how good this division is. And it's nice to see that shift go from the AL East used to be the impossible division. And now it's kind of going to be the NL East. Now, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen in this race. Because aside from the Marlins, I think anybody could win the division.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And throw in the fact that there is talk today about possibly expanding the playoffs for this particular season. So expanding the playoffs further for this particular season. So let's move to the Central, which seems to be, I don't want to call it the dog of the National League. But you're talking about the Cubs And the Brewers, who are the talk of the top two, but when you talk about their pitching staffs, you're talking about number 18 and number 14, Cubs being 18 and the Brewers 14. That's another division that seems to be wide open, and some have the Reds winning it all in that division.
1: Yeah, the Reds went out and acquired Shogo Akiyama, who's a really interesting player from overseas. He's in his 30s, which you don't often see a guy over 30 years old come to the United States, but I think that he's definitely an interesting guy to watch. They've obviously got their solid young core. Joey Votto's not part of that young core, but one of the best hitters in baseball and has been his entire career. I think he ends up a Hall of Famer. Nick Senzel, who's a former top pick, is going to be lining up every day in center field, most likely for the Reds. They've got Eugenio Suarez, who's coming off a 40-plus home run season. That's a really fun team to watch. And the Brewers probably are my pick in this division. I think Keston Hura is going to, do wonders for that team. He just came up last year and had a great second half of the season. He's going to be lining up at second base or DH for them every day.
0: Yeah, you throw in the fact the Cubs are 18th in pitching. According to fan graphs, the Brewers 14th, but the Reds are 7th. If your key is pitching, the Reds have a pretty darn good chance of winning that division. Now, you go out to the
1: National League West, and the talk is all about the Dodgers. Well, it's, it's got to be the Dodgers. They just signed Mookie Betts to that in- extension, and they're another one of these teams that like the Rays and like the Padres in their division, just has a a stupid amount of talent in the minor leagues. Gavin Lux, who probably would be the starting second baseman or shortstop on most major league teams this year, not even on their opening day roster.
0: Out of the six divisions, and if you go to ESPN, the experts, quote-unquote, picked their picks, and each division has a number one but has possible number two or even a number three. National League West has one. All votes... Los Angeles Dodgers, but there's some issues, of course, with other teams in baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays don't have a home at this point, They're supposed to play in Pittsburgh, but Pennsylvania, like Canada said we don't want people coming in and out just for professional sports, even though it's just the team and they can probably keep the contact to a minimum. Pennsylvania said, no, no no we don't we don't want that here, so Toronto is still looking for a place to call home, and one of the options for Toronto was actually calling, staying in the away stadium to play their home game. So they, in, if they play the Yankees, and it was supposed to be in Canada or Pittsburgh, they would play the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, and Toronto would actually be the home team. So very, very strange situation for the Blue Jays right now where they're going to play their
1: home games. Yeah, it's we've never really seen a barnstorming team at least not not in my or your lifetime. It's happened before, but it's really just a product of the times. The Blue Jays have to play their games somewhere. I saw on Twitter that Omaha wanted to host the Blue Jays. I don't know if the people in Nebraska would be fly with that. I don't know if MLB would be fly with that, given the fact that they're trying to keep things confined to their region. Right, The Blue Jays are in the AL East. doesn't really make sense to go to the middle of America to play games that are in the AL East, but... They're going to have to find a home because it's July 23rd today. The season's rolling, dude. And they don't have have a place (laughs) to to play games. So it's probably the most interesting storyline to monitor in the beginning of the season. We'll see what ends up happening. I don't have any guesses. I don't have any leads. I don't have any sources. We'll see.
0: Blow to the Mets, too. Marcus Stroman comes up with a calf muscle tear. He was slated to go number two behind Jacob deGrom. Max, I think this puts a, a huge crimp in the Mets pitching, although they did pick up Rick Porcello and Michael Waka. Better numbers than Stroman, but Stroman's a workhorse.
1: Yeah, Stroman is a workhorse, and he just debuted a new cutter this year during spring training that I was really looking forward to seeing. It's tough to see him go down. I mean, one of the things for the Mets that has plagued them over the past few seasons has been injuries to their pitching staff, and there's no question that when all five of their guys were healthy, it was probably one of the best staffs in the game but they've really never all been healthy at the same time for one turn through the rotation. And entering this season with Porcello and Michael Walker and Syndergaard was healthy at that point, plus Stroman was healthy at that point, that's seven starting pitchers. And people were thinking, well, okay, there's no way that Porcello and Waka, who both presumably signed to be starters, are going to get an opportunity to start. Now they're both going to be starting, and the Mets still need a fifth starter. I'm thinking it might be David Peterson. I'm hoping it'll be David Peterson because I- I'm interested to see what he can do in the major leagues, but we could just as easily see Corey Oswalt, who's had some success in the big leagues before.
0: Right. So that those are storylines to watch as we get into the major league baseball season. It'll be fun. It'll be a sprint to the finish. And uh, again, it's going to be who can stay healthy through this quick season of 60 games and continue on and get into the postseason but let's switch gears to the nba which for one week the mlb will have the stage they will be other than soccer the only pretty much the only game in town but the nba gets going next week on the day we release our podcast so we'll probably talk more about that but actually this looks like a three-team race in the nba and you know when you look at the power rankings the team on top is not the team you think. It's the Milwaukee Bucks. And you would think that the Clippers and Lakers would be right there. But the Milwaukee Bucks, with the reigning MVP and possibly repeat MVP, Giannis Atenecompo, could be the team that comes out of this on top. And it'll be interesting to see, again, eight games for playoff seating. But the Bucks don't really have to worry about that. They're you know, the, the odds-on number one. And they're also number one in the power rankings.
1: Yeah, I think Giannis is probably the hands-down MVP. By the way, if anybody knows for sure how to pronounce it and your name isn't Giannis Antetokounmpo, let us know because I think that there are so few sports writers and, and people that know how to say that name.
0: I'd take a crack at it, but I know I'm
1: wrong. Yeah, and and, and he's going to be the MVP. I think that he has easily impacted play the most out of any NBA player this season, The race is going to be an interesting one to watch. It's really just an eight-game tune-up for the playoffs, and and then we're going to be off and running for the playoffs. I think that one of the most interesting things that I've seen so far out of the bubble is Bowl Bowl, who made his NBA debut on Wednesday night, had 16 points, 10 rebounds, and six blocks in an exhibition.
0: Turned a block into a three-point (laughs) shot. Yeah, the, the, the
1: Nuggets and Wizards played against each other, and... He showed out, uh, and it'll be really cool to watch him because his dad was one of the tallest, if not the tallest NBA player in history, and now you see Bowl out here joining the block party, basically. I mean, six blocks in your debut is nothing to sneeze at, and 16 points and 10 boards, and he looked faster than his dad. He looked more agile than his dad. He's not quite as tall, but if you're 7'2", it doesn't really matter how much taller than that you are. He is going to be someone to watch probably after this season ends, but I think that's one of the more interesting things I've seen out of the bubble so far.
0: The Clippers really, really got helped with this time off. You're talking about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard who were limited and dealing with some things. You get about four months off, those things go away and you, you have time to get healthy. And the Clippers are really looking to make some noise in this eight-game playoff seeding season and then in the playoffs and you talk about the Lakers missing players and it could be interesting out west where the Clippers could actually eclipse the Los Angeles Lakers with that we're going to bring in an expert and figure it all out we've got questions for him and he's going to join us right now
1: now we're going to bring on a fellow Michigan Wolverine Jalen Rose was a member of the Fab Five at Michigan that went to -to back-to-back national championships He played in the NBA from 1994 to 2007 and now hosts his own show, Jalen and Jacoby, on ESPN with David Jacoby, as well as providing NBA analysis for ESPN. Jalen, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for the love. I appreciate the invite.
1: So our, our first question for you is, with the NBA season returning next week, what is there for the players and fans to expect? I mean, we really haven't had a situation like this ever. The closest thing I can think of would be the lockout in 98-99 when they had a shortened season. But even then, it wasn't interrupted and then resumed.
2: Here's what you're going to expect from the NBA that I can't necessarily promise in the other professional sports, Major League Baseball and the NFL. There will be a champion. The one thing about the NBA is 80% of the season is played so, therefore, the 20-plus teams you invite to the bubble, around 200 or so players and their coaches and stuff, and then ultimately play a couple of exhibition games, and then you play eight regular season games, you complete the season, which allows players to get their full check for the year. And then you start a playoff, obviously, at the best eight seasons at each conference. So, I think there will be some times where star players or role players – you know, come down and get contracted with COVID-19 during this period, during the playoffs. It's going to be kind of, I'm thinking of it more like injuries. Somebody hurts an ankle or something happens that they've got to sit out a couple of days or a couple of games. But ultimately, there will be a champion. And if there is a model to do it, I think the NBA has set itself up the best.
0: Now Going back to the 98 season, I know our beloved Knicks went to the finals that year, obviously lost to the Spurs 4-1, but if I'm reading you correctly, and, and this is a huge topic on all talk shows, this is going to be a legitimate champion. There's no asterisk, no nothing like that. You consider this a real champion.
2: So here's what's going to happen. If one, of the LA, if one of the LA teams, Lakers or Clippers or the Bucks win, these are the distinct favorites. If one of those squads wins, everybody's going to say it was on the up-and-up and and legit if all of their top players were healthy. PG and Kawhi, Giannis and Middleton, LeBron and AD, if one of those squads winning and those six people play, everybody's going to feel like it's legit. But now all of a sudden teams that are contending based on the style of play that's going to be required, more of a freestyle, open gym, rec style ball. So for me in the West, that's Houston with James Harden, who can throw up 40, and Russell Westbrook that could get going with the best of them, both still playing at MVP levels. And the Portland Trailblazers, they could get in. This time last year, Dame Lillard shot down the Oklahoma City Thunder with Russell and Paul George and broke up their team. And in the East, those teams could be the Boston Celtics, depending on the health of Gordon Hayward and, and uh, Kimball Walker, which I'm hearing both compromised at this point. Um, the, uh, the Miami Heat, Bam Adebayo is my most improved player this year, and Jimmy Butler is obviously their all-star player. And then the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. So if one of those latter five teams win it, I think people will say, well, you know, it's an asterisk, they were in the bubble, it wasn't no fans. But otherwise, I think we'll get to a champion and people will – See good basketball, seven-game series in the NBA usually mean the best team always wins.
1: You mentioned Bam Adebayo as your most improved player. The league has come out and said that the games in the regular season in the bubble aren't going to count for award voting. So who do you think comes home with the MVP this year?
2: Well, I'm a voter, and that's not realistic. So you need to tell me that we're not voting until the bubble happens. I'm going to watch eight games. So if Giannis goes out and averages 50, and LeBron goes out and averages 13, that ain't going to affect people's voting? Of course it is. Eight games in the NBA is almost 10% of the season. That, that's, that, that's, that does mean something. I mean, and I know where the league was going when they and nobody has affected winning more than Giannis and LeBron in this year. <clears throat> I think Giannis will get my vote because in all of the major statistical categories, he's first on his team. They have the best record in the entire NBA, not just a conference.
0: Now, Jalen, talking about the bubble a little bit, going back to when you played in the NBA, thinking about all the things you would do in between games and all that, and now these guys are stuck in one particular area. How do you think that bubble is going to affect them? Now, I know they have a lot of the amenities of home, but it's not like they can go too far.
2: So one of the things about being a professional in whatever endeavor you choose to do for a living is if you're as accomplished as these players and as worldly as basketball allows you to be and make the kind of money that they're able to make, this is a refreshing time for them that they can be quarantined and not have to deal with the time and energy that comes just with being a public figure or a celebrity. Less shaking hands and kissing babies, less autographs. Less social media posts and uh, glam shots, and really more is going to be focused on the game. Less travel, which means players are going to be fresher, faster, jumping higher. No fans, which means we're going to be able to hear what they're saying, and the enthusiasm should be high. So I'm anticipating some sloppy basketball, which I mean by a lot of turnovers happening because everybody's going to be out enthusiastic to play, and it's been such a long layoff. But I'm anticipating some great basketball and, 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 and the game's being a lot of fun.
0: So it's, a, it's actually a positive that they don't have to deal with all the, that outside distraction stuff.
2: Oh, wouldn't it last time being LeBron James, for public consumption? has been at a hotel, that has been competing in sports, and his celebrity wasn't a part of his day. Now he can just focus on the game. All of the players, they're, they're, they're in the bubble. They're amongst peers. It's only players. It's only coaches. It's only NBA personnel. So really, it's watching it, film. It's in the room, to the pool, maybe to the restaurant or the bar and rinse and repeat. So I believe you're going to get the best version of these guys.
0: In terms of the players who have declared that they're not playing, now putting injury and COVID possibilities aside, who, which team do you think is affected the most by a guy that said, you know what, I, I'm not going to play in the restart?
2: Oh, that's easy, the Lakers and Avery Bradley, because the Clippers have a close in five with Paul, George, Kawhi Leonard, Montres, Harold, Lou Williams, and Patrick Beverley. The Lakers are still trying to figure out their close in five with LeBron, A.D., Kuzma, and Danny Green. The fifth guy was going to be Avery Bradley. Without him, and Rondo's now dealing with an injury for eight weeks, who that fifth player becomes? Do you go big with Dwight? you go smaller with Caruso And so that, that dynamic without Avery Bradley, who had just had 25-plus points against the Clippers the final weekend, we were at the game, and as a lockdown defender and took Patrick Beverly out of the game, I think him not being there is going to be a loss that, isn't a headline for the casual fan, but for those that understand the pieces on the chessboard, his influence will mm-hmm. be lost.
0: Do you think that not having fans is a, is going to affect them in any way? I know a lot of players feed off the crowd and play to it, but is that going to matter at all? I know they're professional athletes, they have a job to do, but how, how will that affect players?
2: Oh, it's definitely going to affect players, because here's the difference. There, there's a reason why teams play better at home versus the road. It's the emotion, the enthusiasm, and the pat on the back. How would we all behave if we went to work, if we went to school? If we came home for work, as soon as you went through the door, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your, your your kids, everybody was lining up, patting you on the back and telling you how great you are, how much they appreciate you, and how everything is going to be all right. You run a little faster, you jump a little higher, it, it means something when you're trying to um, combat a 10-2 to two run. So not having the fans emotion-wise, and as it relates to runs, isn't going to be an effect. But players are going to get used to it because here's another dynamic. The only time players have fans around is during the game. They're not around during practice. They're not around during training camp. So you ultimately get used to playing without fans, and I think that's an adjustment they'll be able to make.
0: What do you think about conditioning-wise? Now, the NBA has come out and said that they're going to shorten the quote-unquote preseason or scrimmages from ten from 12-minute quarters down to 10-minute quarters. Do you think conditioning is going to play any sort of role in this at all?
2: It's only going to be about conditioning. That's what, that's what this next couple of weeks is going to be about. That's what the exhibition is going to be about. That's what the eight games are going to be about. The teams 16 through 22 – Obviously, you want to see what Portland and New Orleans can do because they have Zion and Dame Lillard. But overall, squads like the Washington Wizards and the Phoenix Suns, they're guinea pigs. They're there to help finish the NBA season so that everybody can put their games in the books and help prepare the playoff teams. That's what they're there to do.
0: Who are your final two, the two that are going to the finals?
2: I'll say the Bucks and the Clippers. Initially, I was going to say the Celtics, but I know Kimba and Gordon are dealing with some injuries, so I got to um pay homage to the Clippers and the uh Milwaukee Bucks to make it to the finals.
0: Now how much is it gonna affect next season? Now these the finals are gonna go into October and that's usually around when training camp starts for the next season.
2: Well it just reset the clock. I was somebody that always felt like summer basketball would be a good thing for the league. I know players ending their season in June and not starting back until October is best for your family dynamics and kids out of school. But if you have summer basketball, then all of a sudden you're getting new NBA fans that probably weren't initially NBA fans. And as somebody that played in the league and a fan of the league, those games happening on weeknights, that play at 7, 8 p.m., you're not allowed a lot of times to take your kids because it, it, the, the, the night ends up being so late. So I was always a fan of the league starting around November 15th and then idling up getting ready for Christmas Day as kind of like the grand tip-off and then taking it to June that way. So this year, allow that to happen. But this season that we're playing is truncated in 2021, which is going to be abbreviated, ain't the long-term vision for the league. I think the long-term vision will still be to go back to the regular schedule. that starts in October and ends in June.
0: The last one from me before Max asks you some Michigan questions. Who do you think is the best fit for the Knicks coach, since Max and I are both, unfortunately, big Knicks
2: fans? (laughs) Wow. So here's what I want to say about you guys, Knicks. You guys should feel a sense of hope that Leon Rose, World Wide West, who I apropos gave the nickname to, uh, Steve Stout, marketing genius, Scott Perry, Detroit native, kept him as president a long time, Savannah as an executive. I think they now have the room and the brain matter that A, can put together talent and or, more importantly, recruit talent because if the Knicks are going to be a playoff team, the best player to lead them there isn't on their roster. He is not on their roster. It is not R.J. Barrett who's going to have a long, productive career, who I like a lot. It is not Kevin Knox. I like Mitchell Robinson. I like Trier. I like a lot of their pieces to be long-time NBA players and vets, but not the best player on the playoff team. What they have to be doing, and I'll plant a couple of seeds for you, follow what happens with Donovan Mitchell. I'll just put that out there, a guy that's from Connecticut that plays now in Utah. Follow players like that as they start to become free agents, if you're the Knicks.
0: You right, You gave me hope,
1: Jalen, and I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, that. we need some of that.
2: <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Speaking of
1: hope, though, I got one for you. We got some good news in Ann Arbor that Isaiah Livers is coming back for his senior season. How excited are you about that?
2: Yeah, that's terrific news. And also... Like this is this is a what I'm considering like a funky season that includes the off season. So if you know that you're gonna be a top five or a lottery pick, you make it happen. But if you could go back to school and get some more nurturing under Joan Howard and play at the Great University of Michigan another year and improve your game and improve your stock and put us closer to trying to win a big ten and getting us closer to trying to win a national championship. I'm really happy him and Wagner decide to come back. And I'm really enthusiastic about the prospects of the future. And I'll be sitting courtside, cheering and, and screaming at the refs, doing whatever I can do without a uniform to try to help cheer them on the victory.
1: Well, thanks so much, Jalen. We appreciate it. We appreciate the hope. We appreciate the time. And go blue as always.
2: Go blue. Thanks for the love. Absolutely. Right,
1: Jalen,
0: thanks very much. Appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Don't hesitate to reach out.
0: So, Max, there you have it. As a Nick fan, I guess there's some hope We look forward to the NBA season. Uh, A lot of great insight from Jalen Rose, who is is plugged in and on top of this. And I I was surprised. I thought that being in the bubble would affect these guys a little bit. Jalen's saying absolutely not. They don't have to deal with any outside distractions. And I guess once you get into the playoffs, it's, you know, and I've been around football during the playoffs and players having to deal with, family and tickets and all that stuff and people pulling him in directions and and media and all that. There will be media, but it's all going to be done on Zoom or some other video conference, so they don't have to deal with that stuff. So an interesting take by Jalen Rose. He
1: had a lot of great stuff to say. Great guest, and we were very happy to have him. Yeah, Jalen's the best. And one of the things I said, I thought he said that was excellent was, that you're going to get sloppy basketball, but you're going to get good basketball. I think the main takeaway there is that basketball's back, and you might see a little bit more street ball action or streetball-type stuff, but it's going to be the NBA guys. So so there's really nothing to complain about and only good things to look forward to for the NBA.
0: And thinks that Michigan can make some noise. I, I hope so, so.
1: that's a definite plus. Absolutely. This has been another episode of Podcast by Committee with Andrew and Max Brill. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, TuneIn we're everywhere and rate and review us on Apple while you're at it it'll only take like 30 seconds of your time so go do that right now I'll you know if you'll show me a screenshot or whatever I'll send you a happy emoji on Twitter if you want to connect with us we're on Instagram at podcast underscore by underscore committee and Twitter at pod by committee or you can reach out to us via email Hosts at PodcastByCommittee.com
0: Thanks again for listening to Podcast By Committee. Special thanks to today's chairman of the committee, the one and only Jalen Rose. Thanks again to Mason Pettit for the introduction and Kevin McLeod for the music and shout out to Hal Aaron O'Fill for the graphics. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe.